You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, and in connection with our text also, we have two readings. I invite you first to turn to Acts chapter 2. sermon this afternoon will deal with the doctrine of holy baptism as summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism. And so we'll read, first of all, from Acts 2 in connection with that. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41. These are the words of Peter as he addresses the crowd on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And we'll turn also to Paul's letter to Titus. First reading in Acts 2 speaks about baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And in Paul's letter to Titus, he speaks about baptism for the renewal of our lives. Titus 3, the verses 1 through 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. 
At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has God promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the waters of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we move in our regular preaching, regular treatment of the Heidelberg Catechism, we move through the Lord's days. We've come now to the doctrine of the sacraments and then specifically this afternoon, to the doctrine of holy baptism. These are doctrines. But you may be aware that even just mentioning the word doctrine these days causes some people to get a little uncomfortable. Or on the other side, it causes them to get entirely too comfortable and they fall asleep. People either don't like doctrines or they think they're boring. Now hold the thought that doctrines might be boring and consider a quote from an English essayist. Her name is Dorothy Sayers. And she quipped concerning the doctrines of the church that the dogma is the drama. Now dogma simply refers to the doctrines of the church. We have the three forms of unity. 
the Belgian Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort, those would make up the dogma of the church. And a drama is simply a, a story that's acted out, that's given a feel and, and texture and, and given more expression by means of a play or a, a movie or something like that. So what she's saying is that these doctrines... The doctrines of the church, the doctrines that come out of scripture, contain a powerful and an exciting drama. A drama that eclipses even the best Shakespeare play, or even the most powerful Hollywood production. The drama that she's talking about is nothing less than the drama that's played out for us in scripture. The drama of God's work in this world, beginning with creation, through the fall into sin and all the effects thereof, contrasted with God's redemption and bringing his redemption to a powerful conclusion in the consummation at the end of time. Scripture reveals this drama on every page. The drama of a snake tempting Adam and Eve, the drama of a brother shedding the first human blood, the drama of Israel being carried out of Egypt through the middle of the Red Sea, the drama of David conquering enemies abroad and in his own family, the drama of Israel continually turning away from the Lord and serving other gods, and of God continually coming to the rescue of Israel and bringing them back. It's the drama of God sending His one and only Son into this world as a sacrifice for sins, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the drama of Scripture. And that's the drama that's contained in the doctrines of the church. One example, think of the doctrine of atonement. Now that might sound confusing and maybe even boring, but what is that except another way of speaking about the drama of Jesus Christ going to His death on the cross? as a sacrificial lamb for the sake of all God's people. And so we come today to the drama of baptism. Baptism, the sprinkling with water or immersion into water of a baby of believers or of an adult who's come to faith in the triune God, is much more than that. It signifies and seals the ongoing drama of the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and for the ongoing renewal of our lives. And so baptism is a powerful confirmation of the work of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a powerful confirmation of Christ's work. We'll consider first how we're washed with Christ's blood, and secondly, how we're washed with Christ's spirit. So first, washed with Christ's blood. Before, however, we get into the rich and beautiful drama that question and answer 70 begins to unfold for us, 
we should get a little bit of background first. The, the catechism plunges us right into the heart of the matter here when it, when it talks about baptism. But perhaps you might be wondering, first of all, well, what is baptism? Well, baptism, we'll explain it more next week when we consider about the baptism of infants. But baptism is, you could say, a rite of initiation into the church. That's what's mentioned in Lord's Day 27, in fact. By baptism, children must be incorporated into the church of Christ, the Christian church. And we confess in the Belgic Confession, we say, by baptism we are received into the church of God. In the Old Covenant, circumcision was the rite of initiation. But Jesus Christ put an end to all the shedding of blood. There was no need for circumcision anymore. And yet God still wants to signify and seal to believers the significance of being united to Jesus Christ in his church. And so the Lord Jesus instituted baptism for that purpose. Baptism into the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you could say, is an entranceway into the church of the triune God. But of course, baptism isn't only or simply a rite of initiation. It's so much more. It's also a sacrament. It's a holy, visible sign and seal of the promise of the gospel. It's a sign and seal. Remember from last week what a sign and a seal is. A sign is something that points past itself to another reality. The sign out by the road that says Langley Canadian Reformed Church is not Langley Canadian Reformed Church, but it points past itself to the reality of the church sitting here. A seal is a guarantee of authenticity, just like a king or emperor would put their seal, remember, signet ring into a couple of hot pieces of wax, onto a law or decree, and that would show that that law or decree was lawful, that it was binding, that it was authentically from the king. And so baptism signals your entry into the church of Jesus Christ, and it signifies and seals to you the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Specifically, as we learn from several passages in the New Testament, It talks about the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of our lives. So now we can get into this beautiful and wonderful doctrine of the forgiveness of sins that's signified and sealed by baptism. As Peter says in Acts 2, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. What does this mean? Well, it means to be washed with the blood of Christ. Washed with the blood of Christ? Didn't I just say that it was a beautiful and a wonderful doctrine? What does it mean to be washed with the blood of Christ? Perhaps that sounds very bizarre. 
It's no wonder that the Heidelberg Catechism decides that this is going to need a little bit more explanation. We're going to have to unravel this a little bit to discover the beauty and the drama behind this doctrine. Where does this necessity of blood come from? Why would it be important to us to be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, in the Old Testament, atonement or propitiation, which is a fancy word for appeasing the judgment or the justice of someone, was made through the blood of an animal, through shedding the blood of an animal. What this means is that whereas someone who sins is worthy of God's judgment and condemnation, because God is a just and a righteous God, that's why they're they're worthy of judgment and condemnation. Yet God made it possible for people to live with Him, to live in His presence and to be His people through the sacrificing of animals. The blood of the animal would be shed The animal would be killed in substitution for the blood of the worshiper whose sins deserved death. A life for a life. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, the life is in the blood of the animal and God has given them to you for the atonement of sins. Now this was most dramatically carried out, displayed made happen once a year on the Day of Atonement, when the priest would offer a bull and two goats for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Now, you may know that yesterday, the Jewish people celebrated Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. This continues for them to go on even to this day. And indeed it did in the Old Testament. The sacrificing of animals was was continued constantly, year after year on the Day of Atonement. But not only that, day after day, through the ministry of the priests, because the sins of the people were constant. They were unflagging, they were unstoppable. The sacrifices had to keep going on, because they were only a temporary measure. Although they offered real atonement, They didn't offer lasting atonement. And it was understood that some final, ultimate sacrifice would have to be made if this endless stream of blood were to ever stop. Now think about the reality of this for a moment. Perhaps we don't consider that our sins are really that serious. But consider that we were not made for sin. We were not made for imperfection. And we certainly weren't made for rebellion, which sin is. It's rebellion against God. And also consider that God is perfectly holy, spotless, unblemished. He can't stand the presence of sin. It says in His Word that He can't even stand to look upon sin. That's quite a contrast. Consider the shortcomings, the falters, the deliberate sins that we perpetuate every day. Our lack of love, our lack of zeal, our lack of gratitude, our lack of respect to God and our neighbor. 
as the as constant as the the stream of sins that wells up inside of us, so constant was the stream of blood that flowed down from the altars of the Israelites. I said this was a beautiful doctrine. What makes all this talk of sin and blood beautiful is not the sin and failure, but the blood. But not the blood of animals. As I said, that was an endless and a vexing issues. Would no amount of blood ever be enough? Well, no, it wouldn't. Not until that final sacrifice came into the world. When John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River, a baptism of repentance, suddenly one day he saw a man coming. And he declared about him, under the power of the Holy Spirit, Behold the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was a prophet. And those were prophetic words. Because you see, what stands behind baptism, what's symbolized by the water, for the child or the adult who's come to faith, is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ was that ultimate sacrifice to which all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed and in which they found their fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, the only one which can atone for your sins and for mine. When Jesus Christ went to the cross... And there He shed His blood. It was for our sins and for our salvation. It was to atone for our sins in a way that is more profound and deeper and eternally significant than what any animal could have ever done. On the cross, a man shed His blood for men. Yet it was righteous blood. It was untainted by sin. And it was shed for the sake of those who would realize their sin and guilt before God and trust that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. That's the drama behind a few sprinkles of water. That's the drama behind holy baptism. It's nothing less than the Son of God coming as the final sacrifice, being nailed to a crucifix to give His life, to shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins. And that drama is sealed through baptism. Have you been baptized? Then God has confirmed, guaranteed, that when you repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins, they will be forgiven. Time and time and time again. As many sins as you can commit, so many are washed clean by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only drama that's being signified and sealed in the sacrament of baptism. In fact, you could say that the forgiveness of sins is only the beginning. I said, as many sins as you can commit. 
Someone might say, are you telling us to sin? No, because there is far more of the work of Jesus Christ. And it's also signified and sealed in baptism. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. He not only says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He goes on to say, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The drama of baptism does not stop with Christ's atoning death for our sins. It continues in his resurrection and in our new life in him. This is clear from Titus 3. He saved us through the washing. The washing of baptism. The washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Baptism there is called a washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The waters of baptism not only signify, not only signify the washing away of sins in the blood of Jesus Christ, but the ongoing rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's the second part of answer 70, to be washed by the Spirit. just like it says in the form for baptism, when you're baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by the sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. And so the drama of baptism not only looks back on what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, but through his resurrection, it continues to be played out for us today. This drama is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives, even now. Remember that the sacraments are the means that the Holy Spirit uses to work powerfully for the sake of God's people. Well, that means that he not only unites you, unites us to the death of Christ, but he also unites us to new, new life in Christ. The drama of baptism is the drama of freeing you from sins that still cling to you. Empowering us to say no to ungodliness. Sharpening us to recognize the power of the evil one. Strengthening us to withstand the attacks of the world. Is this a fight that we're in? Is this an ongoing process that we are involved with? Is this a battle that we are waging? Perhaps, brother or sister, you've become blind to this reality of an ongoing renewal in your life. Then remember your baptism. Remember that God has put his seal on you. You cannot ignore it. There is a, a larger drama going on here, and it involves your life and your death. And this drama is real. God has signified and sealed the work of Jesus Christ to us so that we might wake up and find refuge in him through faith. 
We carry that baptism with us every day of our lives. Or perhaps you've succumbed to this battle. You're not blind to it, but you've succumbed to it. Or you're, you're fighting, but you feel as though you're losing ground and you're losing it fast. Well, remember your baptism. God has not called you out of this world, sent His Son to the cross, given you the sign and seal of Christ's work in baptism to simply see you move on, get on with life, or be defeated. Don't take God's grace in vain. Look in faith to Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He is salvation. You might be standing strong, but never sure if you would fall under the right circumstances. Life is going okay, but you know that or you think that if the evil one were to just present the right opportunity to you, you would just fall hook, line, and sinker. You feel weak. Remember your baptism. God is doing this powerful work in you. And His Holy Spirit is the one who is renewing you and sanctifying you so that more and more you become dead to sin and you lead a holy and blameless life. Worried about how strong you are? Then trust in how strong Jesus Christ is. Trust in the drama that's contained in your baptism. What is this drama? God in Christ is redeeming a fallen world. He's redeeming a fallen people. Baptism is a sign and a seal of the great work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of our lives. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.